coming out to you almost live from the most boring apocalypse in human. Hey folks, thanks so much for coming back to listen. This is our brand new podcast. The Cottonmouth Club presents. The Cottonmouth Club presents in which we talk all things bars, bartending spirits, cocktails, everything has to do with bars all through the specific lens of hospitality, which is unique to this kind of place. Fuego! Fuego. Fuego. So we're continuing our series of Cowboy Storytime, read by Danny Furness in his cowboy voice and his Texas twang. Right now we're reading Gunman's Bluff by Max Brand, in which our intrepid gunslinger Cheyenne loses the use of his right hand, which is his shooting hand. Today we're reading part six. But before we go on, I just want to remind everybody we are still bartenders, which means we do work for tips. So... If you like what you're hearing, give some love to our tip jar on Venmo, at the Cottonmouth Club staff. That's Venmo, the Cottonmouth Club staff, the Cottonmouth Club dash staff. Every little bit helps. We appreciate everyone who's dropped a buck or two in our tip jar. All the money goes directly to the staff to keep them in food and everything else they need until we figure all this out. So without further ado, I'm passing you on to Danny Furness reading Gunman's Bluff. Thanks so much and stay tuned. Drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Part 6 Cheyenne, riding steadily through the night, tried at first to keep his mind from Martindale and the dire test he knew awaited him there. He thought of the old days, when he had been as strong as other men, of the night in Tombstone when he had won $500 and killed a man. But he found scant comfort in such memories, and the new cold fear in his heart at last drove all other thoughts from him. After all, was he not like a condemned prisoner, passing to the gallows? He expected to find himself tense, trembling when he entered the streets of the town, but as a matter of fact, the moment he passed the first house, he was at ease. Not without pain, but it was as though he had squared off at another man and received the first blow that shocks the panic out of the mind. Then he heard the music that throbbed out of the barn. He heard the burring sound of the bass viol and the thin, shrill song of the violin, and above all, the long and brazen snarling of the slight trombone. The beat of the drums was almost lost. It was a pulse in the air, and that was all. Under the trees in front of the slave barn, the long hitching rack had been built, and horses were everywhere. He heard them snorting and stamping. Those were the colts. And he saw also the old veterans of the saddle, downheaded, pointing one rear hoof. He picked a gap in a rack near the lighted entrance, dismounted. Other men were about him, getting ready to enter the barn. He saw a gleam as of metal, and his heart leaped but it was only the sheen of a bottle tilting slowly at the lips of a man. He walked in toward the door, passing many figures in the darkness. He came into the little framed-off anteroom where coats and slickers and guns were left. He hung his hat and his gun belt. The room was an armory. The orchestra had paused. Now it began again, and the idlers were drawn suddenly back into the barn to the dance. He went up to the window and saw Judd Wilkins selling tickets. Judd was a long-jawed humorist with twinkling eyes but his eyes did not twinkle when they saw Cheyenne. My lord, he murmured. Then he pushed a ticket across the sill and took the money. Sort of a warm night for a dance, huh? Said Cheyenne. Yeah, kind of, but... My lord, muttered Judd Wilkins. Cheyenne went inside. The roof of the barn was so high and black that the illumination under the lower rafters looked like rising rust. It was a tag dance. 
He saw men running into the crowd and touching other men, sometimes slapping them resounding thwacks on the back or the shoulders. No one seemed to notice him. Then he found Dorothy Martin. She was dancing with Big Lou Parkin, who danced slowly. There was a slight bend to his head and shoulders, as though in proper reverence to his partner. She seemed to be enjoying her dance with Lou Parkin. She kept looking up at him and smiling a little, but now and again her glance went to the door of the barn. Now her look fell straight on Cheyenne, and the smile she sent him set his heart to a thump. He walked through the crowd, stepping lightly. Some voice, a man's voice, said behind him, Excuse me, a, a gent just went by that looked almost like... Well, that would be the beginning of the whisper and the deadly preparation for the fight. But it seemed to Cheyenne that this would be the easiest night of a long lifetime for death. He felt that when bullets struck him, he could still be laughing. In fact, the faint smile that was characteristic of him was on his lips, and in his eyes, and as he came to the girl, he tapped Lou Parkin on the shoulder. Lou stepped back and almost threw up his hands. You, he gasped. He looked like a hero in a cheap play confronting the villain. The girl stepped into Cheyenne's arms and they moved off. His feet found the swinging rhythm of the waltz. He usually danced on the outer edge of the floor, but he kept to the inside now, on the verge of that slight vacuum that always forms toward the center of a big dance floor. I was hoping that you'd come earlier, she said, but this is better than nothing at all. Did you have a long distance to come? I've saved supper for you. You'll have supper with me, John, won't you? I haven't told anyone about you, not a soul, not even mother. I want you to be a surprise. I didn't even talk about being driven into a cave. No one knows a thing. How surprised they will all be. People are looking at you, John. They're looking almost as though they know you, but well, you haven't said you're going into supper with me. I can't stay, said Cheyenne. I can only stay for this one dance. Only for this one? Only one dance, John. The light threw the sheen of her hair down over her forehead, over her eyes. And if one had been unable to understand a word that she spoke, it would have been a delight, nevertheless, to watch the parting and closing of her lips. The fluff of her sleeve fell back up her arm, almost to the shoulder. Other women had sharp elbows, and the flesh of a girl's arm pinches away toward the shoulder, or else it hangs flabby. But hers was rounded, brown. She seemed to be brown all over. How did you get so brown, he asked her. We have a swimming pool behind the house, she laughed a little and looked up at him. We're clear around the floor and no one has tagged you yet. No one's going to tag me, said Cheyenne. But look, John, half the people are off the dance floor. More than half had stopped dancing. In a tag dance, every girl ought to be busy, and now they were drifting off the floor, looking back over their shoulders. The music of the slide trombone screeched and died in the middle of a note. What's wrong, asked the girl. What's happening, John? He's gonna have to fess up pretty soon. Oh, yeah. Didn't he kill her brother? Yeah, uh, cousin. Cousin? I believe Danny Martin was a cousin. Name one? Brother? Ned Martin. I don't know who Danny Martin's father was. I can't remember. I mean, I think it's... I think it's a cousin. Uh, killed Danny Martin, wounded Chuck Martin. Right. Yeah. what you're hearing give some love to our tip jar on venmo at cottonmouth club staff dope <clears throat> such a 